1: The Bible makes it clear that authentic worship is a sweet aroma to God, and it's quite the opposite to the devil. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers how, in the realm of spiritual warfare, godly worship can be one of your most devastating weapons against the evil one. With the powerful story from 2 Chronicles, here's David to introduce today's message, Warfare of Worship.
0: Well, today and on Monday, we're going to talk about an event that took place as recorded in Second Chronicles, and it's the story of a nation that went to war with its choir at the front of the march. I know it sounds uh, crazy, and who made up such a story, but it's an absolutely true event that happened, and we see the power of worship in a way that it's not portrayed anyplace else in the Bible. I hope you'll stay with us today and be with us on Monday for the Warfare of Worship. Friends, we are coming to your area in the month of October and November. If you happen to live in Raleigh, North Carolina, we'll be there Thursday night, October the 6th at the PNC Arena. On Thursday, October the 13th in Orlando, Florida at the Amway Center on Thursday, October the 20th, in Greenville, South Carolina, at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena, and on Friday, November the 11th, in Buffalo, New York, at the Key Bank Center. All of these events are free, but you must have a ticket. The free tickets are available from davidjeremiah.org slash tour. When you request your tickets, they will be sent to you. You will have them in plenty of time. And I hope you'll be among the many who will join us for these special events as we celebrate the goodness of God through the years of Turning Point's ministry and as we look forward to what He has in store for us in the future. Once again, these are the fall events, and they will be crowned with the Caribbean Cruise, which takes place on December the 28th. This conference cruise takes us through uh, the old year's end and the new year's beginning as we celebrate new year's day aboard a cruise ship in the beautiful blue waters of the caribbean you can get information about this from our website and i hope you'll plan to join us right now here's part one of the warfare of worship it was seven o'clock on a friday evening in mid-march in the city of san francisco Jerry Brant, who is head of Action Evangelism, a ministry that mobilizes churches to win cities for the Lord, had scheduled an outdoor praise and prayer service in Union Square. It was to take place at 8 o'clock that evening to kick off a drive for the homeless people in the city. Jerry had filled out all of the necessary papers to get permission to use the square for a public gathering, But as he came early that night to set up things for their service, he noticed that there was a rather angry crowd coming down Market Street, and they were not too concerned about whether they had permits or no. There was still an hour to pass before the service was to start, and so there were just 15 people from Jerry's group that had gathered to get everything set up for the meeting. Finally, a man came up to him from the crowd and said to Jerry, are you in charge here? Jerry took a deep breath. Well, he said, I'm second in command. Jesus Christ is in charge here. The man from the crowd ignored him and gestured toward the market street where all the people were and he said, well, we've got a 1,000 people on their way here and as soon as they get here, we're taking this place over. He knew he had to say something. He had to say it fast. Suddenly, he just felt the Lord impressing him to say this. He said, let me tell you something. You're too late. Jesus has already taken over this square, and we're going to lift up his name tonight in this place. He gathered his 15 co-workers and prayed for the rest of them to come as soon as possible. They went to the top of the platform and began to prepare for their praise and worship service. And as they stood there ready to begin, one of the members of the crew that had come to help prepare for the rally read out loud a verse of scripture that had meant a great deal to him. He read Deuteronomy 28, verse 7. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction and flee from you in seven. That seemed to give a great deal of encouragement to the crowd as they began to sing praise that night. It wasn't too long before this scripture promise was actually fulfilled. Jerry and his friends began to focus their eyes on the Lord and began to worship and to praise him. Suddenly they realized that something dramatic had happened. At the entrance to the square, the marchers had stopped in their tracks. They turned and headed away from Union Square as fast as they could, almost walking on each other to get out of there as fast as possible. They had heard the praise of God and decided that was no place for them. And Jerry said, looking back on that night, we realized that God had delivered us and he had used the power of praise to do it. He said, ever since that night in our work in ministering to people on the streets, we have discovered that praise and worship are the keys to our spiritual warfare. Most of us are comfortable with praise as a witness and we're getting more comfortable with praise as worship. But I dare say not too many of us are plugged in to praise as warfare. And yet the Bible is very clear that worship and warfare go together in fact it may be hard for us to get our arms around this truth but in the Old Testament in the time of the people of Israel there was no difference between the two because as a community that was under God if their worship wasn't right their warfare wasn't right they could not go out to war unless their worship was as it should be it was all integrated in one great big package tied together very tightly so that you have in the old testament countless numbers of occasions when god's people were not right in worship and they went out to do battle and were soundly defeated the book of joshua has a number of occurrences of that something has happened to us in the new testament church where we have forgotten that God wants to use even the worship that we offer to him as an implement of warfare against the enemy. And that if we do not lift up clean hands and have a clean heart as we worship God, our ability to defeat the enemy is diminished. Paul Bilheimer who has written a great deal not only about worship but about the things that are related to worship and I don't necessarily agree with everything he writes. I do appreciate some of the things that he said. And on one occasion, he said that Satan was allergic to praise. So that wherever there is massive triumphant praise, Satan is paralyzed, he is bound, and he is banished. A missionary to China, rather well-known among those who study missiology, is a woman by the name of Mary Slosser, And she had as her motto on the mission field a little phrase that I've written down, and it's quite powerful. She said, In the midst of all the demonic activity and all the pressures on my life, I had one little way to function. I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. And she was right. Amy Carmichael, who has written so much that we appreciate, adds, I believe truly that Satan cannot endure praise and worship, so he slips out of the room, more or less, while it is going on. Jack Taylor, of Southern Baptist evangelist, has written that praise brings the consciousness of the presence of God, and all that accompanies it. The liars from the pit of hell cannot market their wares in an atmosphere of praise and worship. Unless you think these are all recent discoveries, let me take you back in church history to a man most of you have never heard of before. His name is Ignatius of Antioch. He lived in 110 He wrote a non-canonical book, a book that is not in the New Testament called the Epistle to the Ephesians, and these are his words. He said, quote, Take heed then, often to come together to give thanks to God, and show forth His praise. For when ye come frequently together in the same place, the powers of Satan are destroyed, and his fiery darts, urging to sin, fall back ineffectual. For your concord and harmonious faith prove his destruction, and literally torment his assistants. (laughs) I thought that's a great thought. Just render Satan inoperative and torment his assistants. How many of you like to be involved in tormenting the demons? (laughs) Well, the Bible says when you worship and praise God, that's exactly what happens. That Satan cannot exist in that atmosphere. So no wonder Paul and Silas sang and praised God at midnight in the Philippian jail. No wonder Jonah, seaweed wrapped around his head, wondering about his life in the belly of the whale, began to worship God and give thanksgiving, and it was so contrary to the atmosphere in that fish's stomach that he couldn't stand Jonah anymore and vomited him up on dry ground. Worship and praise is powerful. It is a warfare, it is an implement that God has given us to combat the enemy. So. As we look at our Bibles open to Second Chronicles, we have opened to what I believe is the classic passage of worship and warfare in all of the Word of God. It's a story that I need to refresh you about. Most of you know the story quite well, but let me just give you a few of the details to get you up to speed on what is happening in the history of this portion of God's Word. First of all, the key player in this story is a man whose name is Jehoshaphat. He was king of Judah. In fact, he was one of the few good kings of Judah during this particular period of time. While he was reigning as king over Judah, there was a man who was reigning as king over Israel whose name was Ahab. There probably never was on the throne of Israel and Judah two more diametrically opposed kings in the history of all of Judaism. Ahab over here was the wickedest person who had ever lived. In fact, if you want a benchmark for evil in the Old Testament, it was Ahab and his wonderful wife Jezebel. And over here on the other side, a man who was godly and who the scripture says walked in the ways of the Lord and honored the ways of David his father, a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. At the same time, reigning over God's people, two people one good and one bad. You would wonder if they would ever meet, and at last they did. Through a marriage alliance, Ahab and Jehoshaphat were brought together. I haven't time to give you the details of whose daughter married whose son, but they were brought together in a marriage alliance. And because of that, Ahab used his relationship with Jehoshaphat through this marriage to try to suck Jehoshaphat into his warfare plans. Ahab brought Jehoshaphat to his kingdom, wined and dined him, seduced him, and talked Jehoshaphat into going to war with him against an enemy. Now Jehoshaphat knew better. He'd been counseled by one of God's prophets. Don't get involved in an unholy alliance with that wicked man. What do you, a man of God, have to do with a man who is unrighteous and unholy? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers would be another way to say it. But Jehoshaphat was drawn into this relationship. They were now blood relatives, so to speak. And so against the counsel of the godly prophet, Jehoshaphat joined hands with Ahab and off they went to war. Well, as you know, the Old Testament story, it was a war from which Ahab would never return because some aimless, nameless bowman shot an arrow into the air and it lodged surreptitiously right between the harness of his armor and Ahab died Jehoshaphat was preserved and he came home kind of with his head down wondering what in the world is going to become of him now because he knows he has violated God's counsel and guess what when he arrives back home the worst person he could ever have wanted to see was waiting for him at the front door the preacher. And walking in the front door, here is the preacher waiting to confront Jehoshaphat with what he has done. Chapter 19 and notice. Jehoshaphat comes back from that experience and as he walks back into the front door, Jehoshaphat the king of Judah returned to his house in peace in Jerusalem and Jehu the son of Hanani the prophet went out to meet him and said to king Jehoshaphat, "Shouldest thou help the ungodly?" And love them that hate the Lord, therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. And I always liked the nevertheless. But Jehoshaphat, there's a few good things about you. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land and hast prepared thine heart to see God. And the rest of chapter 19 is kind of a history of what happened to Jehoshaphat after he got his second chance to walk with the Lord. Now that's all introductory, but let me bring that now to focus on this particular event, which is the classic passage in the word of God about warfare and worship. Now that Jehoshaphat is back home, everything is settled down, there's no war going on in his kingdom. One day, some of his people come to him and say, King, there is a huge army that is marching against you and they're right on your doorstep and they're about ready to attack. What are you gonna do? Well, given his past in consulting help from those who are outside of God's plan, it's now an opportunity for Jehoshaphat to see what he's learned. By the way, could I just stop here for a moment and tell you that in my life, I've discovered kind of a pattern that God follows. I don't know if he does that with you. God will give us an opportunity to learn a lesson, give us some principles that we need to implement. We'll have the opportunity to use those principles, and sometimes we blow it big time. Anybody else ever do that beside me? And after you do that and you learn the hard lesson because there's always a penalty to pay when you do that. I mean, it may not be severe, but it's felt. And you back away from having experienced that and you say, boy, was that ever stupid? Why did I do that? I knew better, look what God says. And so you kind of re-input that information into your spiritual computer and you think you've learned the lesson and it won't be two weeks before he'll give you another chance to find out if you really learned it or not. It just seems like God does that over and over again to keep testing us to see if we're learning what he's trying to teach us. Well, that's exactly what happened to Jehoshaphat. He had just gotten settled. He'd learned the lesson of not going into compromise with those who were outside of the Lord. Now he's back home and here comes this army. What is he going to do? Well, I'm glad to report that Jehoshaphat truly did learn his lesson. In fact, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the 20th chapter, let's just read a little portion of what happened. Verse 1 says, it came to pass after this that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them others beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There comes a great multitude against you from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. That's a good start, isn't it? First of all, it's not wrong to be afraid. If you're not afraid, something's wrong with you. How many have ever been afraid when you've seen the enemy come against you? Surely you have. That's godly fear. If Fear means I don't have the resources in myself. And so being afraid, he begins to call for a fast. And now the people come together. And the scripture says verse four that Judah gathered themselves together, and here's how we know Josh had learned his lesson. They gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all of the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. That's where you begin, isn't it? Let me ask you something. Is your last resort to seek the Lord? Isn't that often the way it is with us? Here's what Jehoshaphat learned through his bitter experience with Ahab. He learned how to make his last resort his first resort. And so what's happening here is he's got the people together and I wish I had time to unfold this story in detail because it's a marvelous passage of worship and praise. From this moment on, from where we've just read all the way through to the end, there is nothing going on here but praise and worship. First of all, he has all the people together and they've come to seek the Lord. And notice what happens. Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and in Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court. And now watch, he's going to praise God. He said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen and in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? And if we read the rest of this prayer, what you discover is that Jehoshaphat is praising God for who he is, for what he's done and for what he knows he can do. You get down to the 10th verse and notice he finally turns his praise and worship into a very precise request. And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade, they are coming against us. Behold, they reward us to come after us. O our God, verse 12, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children, and they waited for God to speak. Now notice the difference between crisis number one in crisis number two. In crisis number one, Jehoshaphat uses his own wisdom against the counsel of God and gets into major trouble. In crisis number two, when the problem comes, his first resort is to come to God and he begins his whole interchange with the Lord with a strong testimony of worship and praise. Now he's got his people together. Now he's about ready to decide how to go to warfare. And friends, I want to tell you what happens next is the strangest military experience I have ever read of in my life. There is not anything like it in the chronicles of military history anywhere that I know of. But it's here in the word of God and it happened. Jehoshaphat has his people together. One of the prophets of his congregation stands up and gives a little sermon. It's a great little sermon. And he says, trust in the Lord and you'll be successful. Listen to your prophets and you're going to be all right. And then Jehoshaphat gathers them together and he says, we're going out to battle. Let's plan our strategy. Let me tell you what we're going to do. Now let me read to you what happened. The scripture says that Jehoshaphat, verse 18, bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord. Now underline this, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose up early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe in his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went before the army to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and no one escaped. Now isn't that a strange tale? Did you hear what happened? They got together to go forth to battle, and Jehoshaphat said, Get all the choir members together get them in formation and send them out in front of the army and they aren't to take any implements with them they're just to sing they're singing his mercy endureth forever they're to praise God and as they praised God the scripture says as they worshipped the Lord the enemy was confused and they started to kill each other and when they got on killing each other they killed themselves and so when they came to the place where they expected this gigantic army all they saw were bodies on the ground and the Bible goes on to say that there was so much spoil among the army it took them days to bring it back And finally they got all this loot back. And then what do you suppose they did? They had another praise and worship service to give God glory for all that he had done through the implementation of their spiritual warfare. Now, I don't know what you think about this story, but this is true, this happened. God literally won a major war on behalf of his people through worship and praise. And I know what some of you are saying, but Pastor Jeremiah, that was back there. And I live in the here and now. And I don't think God does that sort of thing now like he did back there. And, you know, that's the way we wiggle out of many of the wonderful promises that God gives us. We locate those promises in a time that seems unreachable by us, and then we don't have to worry about whether or not he still does it. But I want to tell you that he's the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever he has done, he can do. And uh, he uses worship and praise today in ways that you may not be aware of. And we'll talk about some more of those when we get together on Monday. This is Friday, and it's the time I usually take to encourage you to be in church. You know, if I just get two or three people to get back to church every week, it'd be worth it. Uh, Right now, we're fighting a real war with a former COVID scare, and many of the people who got out of the habit of going to church, and maybe they have convinced themselves that they can do everything they used to do going to church by watching on television or the Internet. And I want to encourage you to know that the church is God's idea. It's his plan for community, and it can't happen any other way except through the gathering of his people. So if you have not been going to church, would you let this Sunday be your first week back? Uh, Tell your pastor you're back. He's looking for you. He's wondering whatever happened to you. And I hope that you'll get back there soon and join in the community of believers who worship the Lord together, as we have been talking about. Don't forget to ask for your copy of Moving Mountains, the 2023 Turning Point calendar. When you send your gift to Turning Point uh, today, during the month of September, it's our way of saying thank you for your investment in this ministry. Have a great weekend. I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening.
1: For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, My Heart's Desire, please visit our website. There you will also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains. Filled with inspiring scriptures and images to encourage you in your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in several handsome cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah.
0: When workers first began constructing the famous Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, 23 workers fell to their deaths from the bridge. When a large, expensive net was spread beneath the bridge, at least 10 lives were saved when men fell and landed in the net. Interestingly, after the net was installed, the construction schedule improved by 25%. Once the workers knew they were safe, they worked faster and harder. It's amazing what a difference assurance and safety can make, especially spiritually. God's promises of forgiveness and eternal security dependent on His grace instead of our works allow us to live a life free of fear. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's assurance on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com.